Hello, a joint episode of the A's Plus podcast and the Giants Splash podcast. I'm Chronicle A's beat writer Susan Slusser, and I am delighted to be joined by co-Giants beat writer John Shea. Johnny, I, I miss you on uh, your occasional A's duty in years past, so it's wonderful to have you here on the podcast. Uh, let's jump right into it. The A's and Giants just played this past weekend. Very interesting series. Um, the Giants finally win one on the last day. The A's went 5-1 and one against them this year, but um, we'll start with the A's since, uh, since I'm hosting, darn it. Uh, <laughs> what were your impressions <laughs> of the A's over the weekend and, and from what you saw of them this year, which I know is largely against the Giants? Oh my goodness. Starting pitching. I mean, that first two games, 6-love, six 6-love, six that's what the scores were in the first two games. Uh, Luzardo, Bassett, I mean, it, it's holy cow. That's something I haven't seen out of the Giants at all. Back-to-back, deep into the game, pitching performances by the starters. And that will get you a long way in the postseason, and that's what the Giants do not have right now. And that was amazing to see. Everything else falls into place. Good defense, good relief pitching, just enough hitting. And you start with starting pitching like that, and I imagine those two guys – and Manaya, that's a mighty three. There's probably more uh, if if you need to go four and five deep, which you need to do once you get past that first round because there are no days off in the division series, the LCS, or the World Series, and that's where the A's want to be headed. But the starting rotation, I mean, that's got to be the – I mean, obviously the bullpen has been fantastic, the best closer in baseball, but it starts with the, with the rotation, right? Absolutely. Yeah, the A's really go six deep now with, you know, the addition of Mike Miner, if if needed, you know, and certainly at least some veteran experience. And he, he's kind of been a little bit up and down, you know, one very good start, one not so good start, obviously, on, on sun, in the Sunday game. Um, yeah, did the you, guys are trying to beat. Yeah. Did you hear much chatter about the A's at all from the Giants over the weekend or any of the rest of the year? Well, just that, uh, you know, their catcher was quoted as saying, man, they – don't swing at pitches out of the zone and uh, they're, it's like machine-like and um, they're so disciplined. And maybe that wasn't the case in the third game uh, when the Giants went crazy offensively. And as, I think as it turned out, they scored as many runs as the A's did in the series, but it didn't matter because they didn't score at all in the first two games. But uh, it, it, it is amazing to see that team, even without Chapman, even without Chris Davis as we know him, you know, two, three, four, five hitters that just aren't either there or doing it. And they're still damn good. And yeah, I guess it's a testament to their depth, to, to the youth, um, and the fact that they could find a lamb to play third base and – uh, not have to worry about an offseason for Davis because they're loaded in pitching and they got enough hitting. And their defense, they just seem more athletic than the Giants. The ball would go up and it would be caught. <laughs> you know, for the Giants, it would go up and you, it would be an adventure because the Giants do not have their best player, Mike Estremski, who solidifies the defense and the lineup. And... You know, Dickerson has been out, uh, paternity leave, uh, and what a story that's been. But the the Giants just don't seem to have the athleticism, including in the outfield, that other teams have. And it was chaotic early in the season, 
when Brandon Crawford was platooning and he'd missed several starts and the defense was just embarrassing. But once he got in there, the defense suddenly got better once he started playing regular. And that's the same in the outfield, I believe, with Yastrzemski. But they just haven't had him, and they probably won't have him, uh, you know, anytime soon. Although I did hear that he, uh, you know, he's starting to, to run a little bit, starting to hit. And uh, so hopefully for them, they'll be back soon. Yeah, let's let's talk about the Giants' situation a little bit. The A's obviously clinched Monday night when the Astros lost. Um, you know, they didn't really want to back in. They wanted to win that game Sunday, uh, I think, very badly so they could win it on their own terms. But you know what? I'm sure they'll take it. The Giants now are still in it, but there are a lot of teams that are still in it. So uh, we're talking on Tuesday, before play Tuesday. Break mm-hmm. things down for us, because here over the next <laughs> few days, you know, the next five days, uh, things could get pretty squirrely. 16 out of 30 teams make it. I mean, this is the NBA and the NHL, right? So mediocrity is rewarded. 500 is okay. The Giants are below 500, and they're in it with a week to go. So that just tells you all you need to know. And it's so crowded that you could say there are six teams right now for four spots because obviously the two top teams in each of the three divisions go. And right now it's L.A. and San Diego in the West, Chicago's going to win the Central, Atlanta is uh, doing well in the East. Okay, now you got six other teams, and they're all within a day or two of each other. And then you have the Marlins, the team that nobody expected to be here because they were doing all the right, wrong things with the protocols and getting busted and playing a million double headers. But look at them now. Uh, they're basically in fifth place. And then you have the Cardinals and the Reds and the Phillies. And those are the top eight. And Giants and Brewers tied for ninth, a half game back. But really, the Giants are a game and a half back because their tie-breaking status is not good because intra-division records are looked at because there is no head-to-head in West teams versus Central or East. So if the Giants were to tie the Reds or the Cardinals, uh, there's no head-to-head. So you move to intra-division record and the Giants are like 15 and 18. And that's why they have to you know, win a lot of games here in the last week because they're playing uh, division foes and uh, they could boost their record that way. So it is a big crowded mess and the Giants will have to play a lot better than they did in this uh, opener against the Rockies, but uh, it's there for them. I mean, if they win out, they certainly have a chance to to uh, to make the playoffs. But their last four are against the San Diego Padres, and they play the Padres as well as they play the A's. And uh, I, I'm I'm kind of rooting for a uh, if it happens. I mean, we don't root, but it would be cool to see Giants Dodgers. Dodgers would be the number one seed, and the Giants, if if they're number eight, they would open three games at Dodger Stadium, and that would be the first postseason series in that rivalry's history. I mean, you look at the Red Sox and the Yankees, they played a ton of times in the postseason. Now, the Giants and Dodgers did play 1951-1962 a best-of-three playoff to determine the pennant winner because they tied in their regular seasons, and those were counted, however, as regular season games. So this technically would be the first postseason for those two teams against each other. That's crazy. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's going to be a tough road against the Padres, I got to say. You know, the Ace, <laughs> the Ace had a tough time with them this year. Uh, that's a that's a very, very good team. What's your gut feeling on who sneaks in in the National League? I, I've, I've liked that Reds team. I might be a little partial because, of course, in, in A's land, you know, there are a lot of fond memories, I think, of Sonny Gray. But they've got a nice collection of talent there. So uh, I, I'm kind of keeping an eye on them. Well, plus they're the hottest team of the bunch. In fact, on Monday, they were the only team among those that I mentioned that won. And, uh, you know, Castillo, Luis Castillo pitched, and they, you know, they have Bauer, they have Sonny Gray. Now, Sonny Gray's coming back Tuesday after missing a start with a back issue. And I, I'm just thinking now, what if the Reds finish eighth? I mean, they're a really good team, and they're running on all cylinders. And that could be an interesting story in these best of threes. Even though the Dodgers would host, say it's the Reds who go down to Dodger Stadium. And with that pitching and with the the, the, the fact that they're uh, going in hot, they, and they could knock off the Dodgers. They could win two out of three. I mean, what's a home field advantage anymore? Yeah. Because you're... You're sitting at home, but there are no fans rooting for you. Yeah, you know the dimensions, you know the foul territory. You're familiar with all that. But is that going to make a big a, a, enough difference for the Dodgers to have a severe advantage over any team, including, uh, you know, Red Hot Red? So that would be interesting if a one seed were knocked out. You know, it's rare in the NBA or NHL for that to happen. But this funky, you know, best of three, in the first round, I mean, a hot team could eliminate the Dodgers right away. Yeah, this whole postseason is so, I mean, it's a crazy year. We all know that. But this whole postseason is so strange. You know, the whole idea of a bubble, which, it, as we know, it is not really a bubble. Baseball can't quite do a bubble mm-hmm. the way um, smaller teams uh, can do it. You know, they, they're not all going to one spot. They're not restricting access quite to the extent those other teams are. Um, you know, they're still leaving some of it up to you know, players own recognizance in, in some sense. So uh, it, it's not really, you know, they're dealing with people doing transportation and meals and hotels and all the, all those kind of things. So, uh, you know, everyone crosses their fingers that there is no positive test, but it's such a tight schedule. Uh, you know, there are no days off after that first round is completed until the World Series. There's a day, one day off before the World Series. Uh, if one team winds up with having some sort of positive test at some point that throws everything out of whack. So um, I'm not saying it's going to happen and I'm not trying to be negative or a naysayer or anything. um, Things have gone honestly this season much better than I had thought that they would really. um, I kind of, I'm very surprised um, and I'm pretty pleased that there has been no really major incident. Nobody's gotten very sick. Mm -hmm. Uh, There certainly have been a lot of interruptions to play, but nothing that devastated the whole schedule to too bad a degree. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that they can get through this, but it's just something to, to keep in mind. But uh, expanding the playoffs uh, and doing it this way, that you know, the A's, well, let's take the A's, for example. Um, the, their one thing was they wanted to avoid the wild card game. They've been in it three times now, starting with their disaster at Kansas City in 2014 and then the loss at New York when... Uh, you know, they used an opener and then last year against Tampa and that was at home and they still lost that one. So yeah. uh, 
they wanted very much to win the division and avoid a wild card scenario. Well, this is still, it's called the wild card round, but it's still, it's just a best of three. And a best of three is, to me, is still not really a, the test of a baseball team. You want a longer series. You want to see more of a pitching staff or, or you know, in the old days, one, you know, your best pitcher twice, maybe even a series if possible. Uh, but here the A's are looking at, you know, potentially playing a team they've played numerous times already in Houston. Uh, Houston's very unpredictable. Um, certainly did not finish up strong, but uh, the A's know them maybe a little too well. Houston knows them maybe a little too yeah. well. Playing in Oakland and playing a three-game series, which is called a wild card round. So yeah. the A's somehow seem to find very, very bad luck whenever it comes to these <laughs> first-round series. And uh, I, I think that this is this is one where they would be going like, hey, in a regular year in a division after winning the division, we would not be playing essentially a wild card scenario. Yeah, we, we, I guess we all adjust. The A's need to adjust. Uh, everybody adjusts. It's a wacky year. Hopefully normalcy will prevail next year. But I don't know how else they could have done it. I mean, the A's will have an, ad- well, you know, playing at their place, right? They will have I an think so. I think in they those do. first three games. Yeah, I do. That is one building where I do feel like a team might have a little bit of an advantage beyond just the last at bat advantage that you get from being the home team because other teams typically do not like coming to the Coliseum that much. The pitching staffs kind of do because it's a big ballpark. Mm -hmm. Um, But, uh, you know, the accommodations, especially now in the COVID era, uh, are not luxurious. So uh, (laughs) there's a lot of complaining you hear. And, you know, it's just it's not necessarily as comfortable for opposing teams as as some ballparks are. So uh, I think they do have something. Now, again, they had a packed stadium last year for the wild card game and they were playing at home and they they dropped it. But a one in a one game series, it's not a series in a one game scenario. You know, anything can happen. John Shea and I will be back with more A's Plus and Giants Splash in just a moment. But if you want to continue following the A's and Giants and the SF Chronicle, you can go to sfchronicle.com or you can subscribe at sfchronicle.com slash pod. We're talking about um, something also pretty unusual in that uh, the Giants, if they get in, the A's, now that they're in, their potential opponents could be someone from their own division that they have seen a bunch, or it could be a team that they have not seen at all, all year. And I've been asking people, including Bob Melvin and some of the players, you know, which one of those is, is preferable? Is is there a preference? Is there an advantage one way or another? Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure anybody has an answer on that. But, uh, you know, Houston has certainly seen the A's starters a ton. Uh, I suspect the A's keep trying to keep Mike Fires away from him if they if that's who they play, uh, which they have successfully somehow done all year. Um, but they're very familiar with the A's, and even that, you know, the A's bullpen they've seen a lot, which that can be uh, just, you know, if anybody gets in trouble, you're going to see a lot of that very good A's bullpen. But Houston knows them. So I don't know. Do you have any uh, thoughts on that? Or do you want to see somebody you really have no almost no idea because you haven't seen them all year? Yeah, maybe that's the best way because, say, the Giants, for instance, instead of playing the Dodgers or the Padres, would play the Braves or the Cubs. Now, maybe that's not such a bad thing because you, as a last seed or a seventh seed or a sixth seed, are the underdog anyway. So you got nothing to lose. Let's go out there and give it all we have. 
and you know stun the world and that could happen i think in a lot of these because there are no unfortunately scouts in the stands and those are the guys the the heart and soul of every organization for forever and now baseball teams are trying to eliminate that because they think video is much better we don't need to listen to these guys we don't uh body language or anything that you might see at the ballpark is just wiped away because scouts aren't permitted and they're going to have to go by the numbers and by the video and that's it so that's suddenly a way for a lower seed to pull off a huge upset now i have a question for you i've been thinking about this because you know having covered the a's over the years and going to those wild card games in the first round knockouts and it's always so disappointing for oakland and their fans what this year would lead the a's deep into the postseason and what this year would cost the a's again and prevent them from going deep into the postseason well, you know, I, th- I think the obvious answer here is the A's bullpen, uh, the pitching in general, which is, is so solid. You know, that's I honestly, it would be, it's almost impossible to even pick who would be the rotation for a three-game series. I suspect uh, Bassett would be in there because he's been so good, but he's also effective out of the bullpen if there's a scenario in which they wanted to start somebody like Frankie Montas, but they're not sure how deep he might get, or Jesus Lazardo, who has tended to pitch very well the first four innings and then sometimes tire. Um, but Lazardo also has pitched very well in relief when he's done that, including last year's wild card game. Um, but Bassett has got to be in there for me. Um, Montas, Lazardo, those three probably. But Sean Manai has pitched as well as anybody in the rotation the last month, as he did last year. And then he pitched in the wild card game and didn't have that much success. So uh, that's a that's an interesting option. Of course, then you've got Fires and Miner, the two more experienced guys. Um, but the pitching in general, I mean, the the bullpen is just absolutely phenomenal so that could do it but the offense is uh erratic they've relied on the home run to such an extent the last few years that sometimes Mm. uh if they're not getting if they're not hitting homers they're just not producing much uh they struggle sometimes with runners as all, all teams do struggle with runners in scoring position but it seems as if when they get in one of those ruts it winds up lasting a week or two that that could kill you so um, but A's teams of the past, that the ones that have had so much trouble getting out of the first round, it's usually been something spectacularly weird that's happened, that's killed them. You know, the Jeremy Giambi slide, the Tejada and Burns base running incidents mm-hmm. in Boston, mm-hmm. things like that. So that's what they really have to avoid. They have to play very good, fundamental sound baseball. And the fact that they are now missing Matt Chapman at third base probably hurts them in that respect but you know you're right they go out and pick up jake lamb he's been terrific he's not the defender that chapman is because who is um but listella has also brought something to the offense that they didn't really have before he doesn't strike out very much uh he gets on base a lot he makes a lot of contact he to me could be a difference maker too along with the bullpen but yeah they've they've just got to avoid the boneheaded kind of mistakes that they have made in some of those previous bad losses and please don't tell me they're going to use an opener in october (laughs) no opener (laughs) liam hendricks is pretty firmly the closer (laughs) (laughs) good uh in fact that should let's let's talk a little bit about liam hendricks um who's just having an amazing season uh best reliever in 
baseball really right now uh if you look at things like war and uh you know a, a lot of the other things. you know he, he blew the, the save opening night and he has been perfect yeah. since then yeah. um yeah. I, I had a story in today's paper should he be considered for mvp cy young because he's without a doubt the a's mvp i've had a few people on twitter saying like oh, well what about chapman and manaya if you go by f war and things like that no no to me it's an absolute open shut case he is the a's mvp uh, and in a short season, I think the bullpen has been much more important than uh, than usual. Especially starters could not pitch as many innings, particularly early on. Uh, teams are using their bullpens a little differently. So um, I, I think he, he should be certainly considered. Now, he's not going to win the Cy Young. I know that. Shane Beaver will win the Cy Young, probably hands down. Um, but he needs to be in the conversation. So I talked to uh, two of... Uh, all of our favorites in the Bay Area, Raleigh Fingers mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Dennis Eckersley, who had a lot of interesting things to say, um, and uh, including Fingers saying uh, Eckersley saying that he thinks that it should MVP should always be an everyday guy, but he is not giving back his <laughs> bleep award. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Which that was is classic. So, um, so, what are your thoughts on that? You're a you're a um, postseason award voter. Well, I think in a down year for hitting, then yeah, it, it, I, you know, Sandy Koufax won an MVP. Uh, you could go down the list. Both the people that you interviewed won MVPs, um, and you know, all throughout time, you could say, well, it wasn't a great year for any particular hitter on a contending team, whatever. But I, I, I kind of frown on it for the most part because they have their own award. You talk to any hitter, they'll say the same thing. <laughs> uh, and uh, say, hey, you have Cy Young, we'll have MVP. MVP is basically, uh, um, you know, the Heisman Trophy goes to the best back, you know, halfback, uh, tailback, quarterback. And MVP is really a hitter's award. It should be. But that's not what it's called. So I think a pitcher, if he's so dominant, um, and generally, that is a starting pitcher because he throws a lot more innings um, than a reliever. Though in today's world, you're right, the um, relievers are throwing more innings than the starters. And I think for the first time in history, that was the case last year because uh, you know half a game is four and a half innings, and on the whole, starters weren't averaging four and a half innings. So it's the first time in history relievers actually had more combined innings than pitchers and this year there's not going to be a doubt of that i mean the giants just don't have guys who go uh four or five um on a regular basis it just doesn't happen and their bullpen is so overworked so (laughs) it's hard in this world that the offense is so dominant it's not the year of the the pitcher uh just because i mean there's some great pitchers but there's so many hitters and there's so many home runs and the mentality of the game is, is to go deep and put up big numbers. So I think it's a long shot for any reliever nowadays to do that. But again, I, I always uh, lean toward, toward the hitter, but uh, it, it's, it's a great case in, in this year where relievers are throwing more than starters. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think it at least cause you know, I'm hoping he gets some votes down ballot. At least. I'm hoping Mm -hmm. people keep an eye on him. I remember a a national writer at the start of this regular season, before uh, the virus and et cetera, 
had asked me who the A's MVP candidate would be, whether it was Chapman or Simeon, and I told them Matt Olson. So, um, you know, I wow. think the importance of the bullpen uh, has been so obvious because in this short season, I, you know, Matt Olson's the A's home run leader. Uh, you know, he's their biggest threat at the plate. And I, I, you know, I have, we didn't even mention him as a possible A's MVP. So that tells you something. Now, um, you mentioned that you have a good Raleigh finger story and I want to hear it cause I'm going to, I've got a, I've got a pretty good one too. You tell, you tell yours first. Well, it was in the Willie Mays book, 24, that Willie and I co-authored, came out in May. Great and... book, great book. Everyone should buy it. <laughs> Everybody has a Willie Mays story, right? And it, having interviewed 200-plus people, I, I, I can confirm that. And Raleigh's was a pretty good one. Now, Raleigh grew up in the L.A. area. He was a center fielder as a kid. So when his dad took him out to Dodger Stadium, he said, where do you want to sit, kid? He said, I want to sit in center field to watch the great maze. said, okay. So they sat out in the center field bleachers and watched maze play. And after the game, Fingers and another kid went down to outside the player parking lot and saw the players come out of the clubhouse one by one and go to their cars. Here comes Gofax. Here comes Maury Wills. Here comes Willie Davis. Here comes Drysdale. And young Raleigh said in the corner of his eye, he saw a door open way over here on the left side, and it was Willie Mays trying to sneak out. <laughs> and Raleigh, in his best sprint, chased him down through the cars and got to him right when Willie was opening his car. And, Mr. Mays, Mr. Mays, can I have your autograph? And Willie signed for the young Raleigh Fingers. And... uh Raleigh tells the story. He said, I didn't see the man again until the 1973 World Series when I'm on the mound facing him in game two. <laughs> and Mays is a Met by then. And uh, anyway, Willie's last major league hit is a single off Raleigh Fingers. Uh, and then it didn't see him again until Raleigh got inducted into the Hall of Fame. So, you know, there's no interleague. There's no you know crossover you never see any you know he was you know they never pitched against them except in the world series so fast forward to the induction and raleigh goes up to him mr mays i'm, I'm raleigh fingers i just got inducted and uh, here's my story so he told willie the story saying when i was a kid you know i saw you corner my eye dodger stadium chase you through the cars you signed for me and you know what mr mays if you didn't sign for me in that 73 World Series, I would have drilled your ass. <laughs> <laughs> then he says, you know what, I, you know, it was Willie Mays, I wouldn't have drilled that. But, uh, but he tells a story, it's a pretty good story, that he went all those years, and next, next time he sees him, he's facing him in the World Series. And all those years later, next time he sees him, he, he's inducted into the Hall of Fame, and Willie is there. Oh, that's lovely. And <laughs> funny. So when I talked to Raleigh the other day for this Hendricks story, um, he lives in Las Vegas, and I was just chit-chatting afterwards and saying, you know, how are things going there, and you know, well, you know, the dealing with the virus and all of that. And he said, actually, for me, it's kind of great because I can go anywhere with a mask on, and no one recognizes me. Oh, the mustache is <laughs> hidden. Can't see the stash. I said, I told him he needs to get one of those masks that actually has like the mustache, like you know, yeah. imprinted on it, so he could still have his handlebar. And he, I think he's enjoying anonymity. He said usually That's when he goes good. out, two or three people 
recognize him because of course he's yeah. Riley Fingers, but um, yeah, he's like he's, he's hilarious. He's, he, yeah, he's actually very, very much in favor of the masks. So everybody wear your masks. Riley Fingers is doing it. Um, yeah. You and I uh, both uh, to finish this up on a kind of a somber note. You and I lost a very good friend. Everyone's very good friend in baseball. Gary Hughes, the longtime scout and executive in baseball. He's worked for pretty much everybody. Um, anybody who ever met Gary, he, he made you feel like you're their best friend. Uh, do you have any good Gary Hughes stories, any good memories or any, any kind of words you want to say? Cause I, I know we all thought the world of Gary Hughes. Well, he was just the nicest and friendliest person in the baseball industry. And I got to thinking that nobody had more friends in the industry than Gary Hughes, because he could walk on any field, walk into any press box, walk through any crowd, and he would just be mobbed by people who want to say hi. And you know what? He'll treat the the lowest level employee as well as the highest level employee or the, the lowest level player versus the highest level player. Everybody meant something to him. Yep. And he meant something to everybody and he was just a classic baseball lifer beloved you see him at the winter meetings you see him at the restaurants at the bars you see him down in charlie's you saw him in the streets of scottsdale mesa he was everywhere he went to the uh, giants park he went to the a's park uh, he was always there early when the writers would show up just to be down on the field to check out batting practice and to say hello you know to work to to socialize and even later in life man he was there scouting and working and doing everything he could i mean he was such a proponent of scouts and and what they uh are and how they should be valued and it's a shame that they're not valued as highly as maybe back in gary's prime although his prime lasted a lifetime he was with so many teams the red sox the diamondbacks he started with the giants he was a coach out of Marine Catholic High School when, when the Giants hired him as a part-time scout, and um, you know he, he's got rings with the Marlins and, and the Red Sox. I mean, he has been around and just a wonderful human being. And his son Rock is a uh, visiting clubhouse uh, manager with the Marlins. Another son is a scout with the Yankees. So. Luckily, uh, you know, the legacy will live and he will never be forgotten. Yeah, he was, um, you know, he was very good friends with people all the way up to Bill Murray, who was a big Cubs fan. And, and Gary, of course, worked for the Cubs for many years um, down to, you know, as you said, the the regular employees at ballparks. Uh, he always he was so thoughtful and so just wonderful. But he would always text me after I wrote stories stories that he liked um mm -hmm. and it was often which is it was probably crazy because i'm sure they did not all deserve it but the nicest notes i think i got from him were this year when the a's longtime uh club um, press room attendant hal died and then when chester Frow, the scoreboard operator died and gary was close as close friends with those mm -hmm. two as he was with bill murray i absolutely mm -hmm. guarantee it and he was such a, he was everywhere my godson played baseball at a junior junior college in Aptos and uh, Gary lived in, in that area but I, w I went to a lot of games I can't tell you the number of times Gary Hughes was at the JC games during baseball season and somehow he was at every game at the Giants and the A's I mean you, you always saw him but there he was 
at a JC game. It was uh, it was extraordinary. So uh, and one day he took us all out to dinner afterwards because that's just mm-hmm. he was like, oh well, like oh this is your friend and that's your godson. Well, let's all just go out and it was a lovely night and that was Gary Hughes. He he was like that with everybody. So we won't yeah, he miss knows- him. Yeah, he knows I live in Marin. He'd always quiz me on the high school sports because it's, uh, you know, as a scout, you always want to know what, you know, who's looking good, what, who's sharp or whatever. And one time, the independent San Rafael Pacifics honored Dusty Baker. And Gary, who lives a far distance from San Rafael, showed up that night. And uh, and that was wonderful. In fact, the, the three of us and one of Dusty's friends, we went out to dinner afterward in San Rafael and man, I heard stories that I just had never heard. You know, you put these guys together, such great storytellers and, you know, Gary's as good as anybody. And and one of my treats when writing the Willie book was visiting Eddie Montague, who is the former umpire, whose dad was the guy who scouted Willie Mays in Birmingham with the Black Barons in the Negro League back in the day. And his son, Eddie Montague Jr., an umpire. Well, Eddie and Gary were great friends. So I arranged it so that I would go over to Eddie's house and Gary would be there. So I wanted to ask Eddie about his dad scouting Willie back in the day because he knew everything. He had all the stories handed down to him and a great scrapbook, by the way. And Gary, because I wanted to ask Gary, in today's world, how would a Willie Mays be scouted? You know, back then, out of the Negro Leagues, teams just did anything. I mean, the, the, the Dodgers and the Yankees, so many of these teams just blew them off because of the color of his skin. And he was a quarterback. He was a basketball player. He could do it all. He picked baseball, his third best sport in his mind, <laughs> luckily for all of us. But, uh, you know, Gary talked about how somebody like that would not be overlooked because of the sites and uh, the tournaments and the showcases. You don't, you don't, you know, as he said, you don't all of a sudden have a guy who comes out of nowhere. And to quote Gary Hughes, he said, uh, those guys are all known now. They don't get hidden. You can't say, well, nobody knew about him. All you can do is hope to have the first pick in the draft. And he said, Willie Mays, uh, if Willie Mays were, like 19 coming out of high school uh, as he was in 1949 would be the number one player in the draft. So it was really neat just sitting down with Eddie and Gary talking history because those guys were great friends and uh, man, we'll never forget Gary Hughes. Yeah, we won't. And local too. Went to Sarah high, played on the same team as Jim Fagosi, great athlete in his own right. And a very close bunch of people there. Um, and, and just, uh, just the best. I feel like, so much better for having known him and i think we're we're mm-hmm. all lucky everyone who knew gary hughes so uh i think that's a good way to sign off john shea thanks for joining us on a's plus and giant splash and we'll hope to talk to you again sometime during the postseason have fun in this final week Susan. you too our thanks again to john shea for joining us on a's plus and giant splash you can find him on twitter at john shea hey our producers today were G. Allen Johnson and King Kaufman. We'll be back again later in the week with more A's and Giants podcasting. Thanks for listening.